Why, thank you, Jungle Jim, for that wonderful musical introduction. Oh, Jungle Jim, you are just the magic man. The magic man on that synthesizer. There you are sitting over there in your fall flannel shirt uh, with your big tip jar in front of you. I got a tip. You're ready to rake the leaves, buddy, because we're up here in the northeast part of the United States of America. Recording this podcast in the basement studio right along the shores of the mighty Seneca River that flows all the way up to the Great Lake of Ontario. A huge lake that feeds the mighty Seneca. Seneca, not the Seneca. We're in the Seneca River. The Seneca River feeds the, feeds the mighty St. Lawrence Seaway. It has 1,000 islands. Kind of common down up there is the uh, Labor Day weekend. It's long gone. Autumn's of the year, but there's still beautiful boating. Peak foliage along that seaway is just fantastic. That river flows north all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean, just like my voice. Wow. Just think about that. That's right, Jingle Jim. You and I have our own current. Our own current. Yeah, if you make a left, somehow you're going to end up in Toronto and have a great time with the beautiful city. Somehow you're going to end up in Buffalo, if, if, depending how you drift and if you go over a falls and all that kind of stuff. You can find yourself in Lake Erie, feeding all the way over to Michigan, Huron, Superior. Just beautiful, huge bodies of water this time of year. Filled with freighters taking all kinds of um, products right across the United States. That's like the artery. That's you get out to Lake uh, Superior, and that, that just that merch, that stuff they whatever it is stuff. For lack of a better word, I'm going to say stuff. That stuff, that stuff, whatever that stuff is, that stuff on the boats. They're freighter boats. They're huge. They're ships and they're boats. Railroad ships, like railroad trains on the water, <clears throat> and they're. Uh, uh, bringing products and, and metal and ore, all kinds of stuff that gets spreads out throughout the entire country. Of course, you have the great seaport up in Seattle, Washington, that does the same thing. Things that come in through the Pacific up there and then feed in through Seattle. So you got both ends of the country. There's other ports, of course. But these are the great ones. These are the beauties in that great lake. That's Jungle Jim over there just uh, polishing his keys on his synthesizer, polishing the top of it off. I'm Tim Marr. This is Failing Up. What a beautiful time of year. Autumn's in the air. Pretty soon people are going to be drinking cider like there's no tomorrow, and then we won't see them for a while because cider does have an adverse effect. Hi, my, yi, 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 yi. What is going on? Jungle Jim, what is going on? Here we are, uh, pre-primary presidential elections. And never in our nation's history has there been that we have two, two guys running for president. Or if two guys are running for the nomination, most likely they, well, who knows what the hell is going to happen with all this stuff going on. you got Donald J. Trump, who has 91 charges pending against him. You know, against him. He has to, he's been, you know, he's like in his late 70s. Then we have Joe Biden, who's in his early 80s. And um, the issue is, is are they too old to be president of the United States? In and it's an interesting uh, issue because then you have people like the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and that crew just putting out an album, and people are raving over that because Mick Jagger looks like he's 27. And Biden looks good. Biden looks good. Trump always looks weird. Biden looks good. And um, but there's a lack of confidence because they're wondering if, if a person of that age, over 80, early 80s, going into 84 in a second term, is capable of being the president. And the country has lost, has lost confidence. But yet a country that's supposed to be inclusive and all those other things. And, of course, the other guy is not any younger, really. He's not any younger. He's just more of a carnival act. And he has indictments against him. So, really, we have two guys running for office. And 
they're just not the best of the best. And in many ways, it's the same old, same old. Obviously, Trump was president at one time. Biden is a two-term vice president, a bazillion in the Senate for a bazillion years, and now he's president. And it's, there's no, there's been no change. There's been no new blood. There's been no new oxygen put into the room. It's the same old stuff, and we face the same old problems. And it got me thinking, Jungle Jim. Stand back. It got me thinking. It got me thinking. Or as I say in Ireland, it got me thinking. It got me thinking a little bit, Jungle Jim. And what it got me thinking about is, in 1961, we had the youngest president ever elected to the office of the presidency, John F. Kennedy. Now, the youngest individual ever to assume the office of the presidency was Theodore Roosevelt when McKinley was assassinated in Buffalo. When he was up in the Adirondacks, and came flying down. They brought him down on a horse and buggy through the Adirondack Mountains. And he was the youngest um, person to be man to become person to become president. JFK was the youngest uh, person to be elected to the office. I think uh, JFK was 43. I think he was 43, 45 when he was assassinated. And I believe Teddy Roosevelt was like 42, 41. Um, but JFK in 1961 brought in a whole new uh, energy. You know, we just had eight years of Dwight Eisenhower who was a great World War II leader, but an old fuddy-duddy in the office, loved to golf, probably golfed more until Trump broke the record. Um, and prior to him, we had a great solid president and Harry Truman, and then we had FDR for four, almost four full terms. Well, about four and a little terms, and then he died in office. But then we have, um, uh, so, so this new, young, vibrant president comes in, and he speaks in his inaugural speech. The torch has been... Friend and foe alike, be warned, I'm paraphrasing, that the torch has been passed to a new generation born in this century. And that new generation that was born in that century, 19, well, the 20th century, but that generation that came to fruition, that came to their time in the 1960s, was a generation of change. They changed. And they went through tragedy violence that was in a man you just couldn't imagine it in a mouse say in a man juggle jim was gonna say unimaginable it's unimaginable unimaginable in my mind but they went the civil rights movement took off it took off in the in the in the 1960s and to his credit lbj moved the civil rights movement and signed the bill jfk was assassinated in 1963 in 19 in november of 1963 some felt the, the light was, the candle was blown out. 19, in February of 1964, the Beatles arrived in the United States of America on Ed Sullivan show and perform on February 9th. Culturally, everything changes. By 65, the Vietnam War has been escalated to a point. By 66, 67, people are questioning the Vietnam War. Eugene McCarthy, going into 68, had cultivated and had become... Uh, on the college campuses, the the the, the um, candidate of the youth, LBJ was a beaten, worn down man. Consistent protest in front of the White House. Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Beaten man, just a beaten, beaten man. And I believe LBJ performed one of the most courageous acts of any leader of any one of the most of any president of the United States. So he got, and of course. He got stuck into Vietnam with Kennedy's advisors, but I'm going to say this. He moved the Civil Rights Act, and in 1968, in the spring of 1968, LBJ announced, surprisingly announced, unrehearsed, 
on national television that he would not seek nor would he accept his party's nomination for president of the United States. Because LBJ had had enough, and he might have not gotten elected. And when LBJ did that in March, it cleared the way for Bobby Kennedy to jump into the um, race. And Bobby Kennedy was going to jump into the race, but now he jumped in very late into the race. Bobby Kennedy, a youthful Bobby Kennedy, who I believe was 42 or 43, uh, jumps into the race. And people just are drawn towards RFK. RFK was mag magnificent, courageous, well-spoken, standing up against the war, standing up for civil rights, making the announcement that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Detroit the, and saying his brother was assassinated by a white man. Uh, Eugene McCarthy just kind of faded away. And our RFK provide, represented hope. He represented hope for the whole young movement. He represented hope for the country. Now, up against our um, RFK was Richard Milhouse Nixon. And Richard Milhouse Nixon, uh, Tricky Dicky, uh, was not a popular individual, number one. Number two, he had a little shady track record. Uh, and he was old time, old time. He was old school, old school. Lost to Bobby's uh, brother, Jack, who got assassinated. Um, in June, it was June 5th, he died on June 6th, I believe it was June 5th, Robert Kennedy gets assassinated, shot by Sirhan Sirhan and dies in Los Angeles, California. Shot in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, California. Taken to a hotel, I believe he lives overnight. I remember getting up the next morning, going to school. I believe he was still alive in the, in the morning and dies. And when Bobby Kennedy dies, a lot of hope dies. Because President... Johnson's vice president was not a strong individual, was not, I don't mean he was strong, he may have been strong, he, may, he could have bench pressed 500 pounds for all I know, but Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota was not a strong candidate. He was not a strong candidate. And so he jumps into the, he, he's, he's, he's in there by de facto, de facto, de facto is Hubert Humphrey. Now he was still running, but now Hubert Humphrey is the guy. He's the guy for the Democratic Party and Richard Milhouse Nixon is the dude for, um, the Republicans. Richard Milhouse Nixon wins, and Richard Milhouse Nixon, of course, uh, like five years later, is resigning over the Watergate scandal, which, by the way, when compared to what Trump's going through, is like stealing a penny off a carpet. And uh, and then we have our first unelected president put in. We have uh, Jimmy Carter, and then history is history is altered at that point. Trust in the government. There was lack of trust in the government towards the 60s with a protest. And again, it was the younger generation that, that caused the change. And it was a revolution, a cultural revolution, a political revolution, an intellectual revolution, a racial revolution, and sometimes a violent revolution. But this revolution uh, was causing change. And it, for some reason, it just kind of squelched down. And um, here we are now in 2023, faced with different circumstances, but yet a similar situation. We have a former president running back for the office who is a criminal, who has performed illegal activity. He's, let's face it, he's done it. You can't hide it. As uh, a liar and a cheat um, and not um, morally, ethically fit to be president of the United States. We have a city president whose approval ratings are just one step above the basement, um, and the majority even of his party does not want him to run. The country does not want him to run. The country likes him. He's done a good job, but they do not. The country does not want him to run. 
And this president, who the country does not want to run, has a weak candidate, a weak candidate positioned as vice president. So it's kind of the same old, same old. So now it's time to really step back and say, let's pass the torch to the new generation. Let's perform that great step of leadership. I don't expect it from Donald Trump. I don't expect Donald Trump ever to have the, the uh, self-awareness or to put anything in front of himself besides a, a Big Mac. So I don't think Donald Trump would ever step out of the election. And now, given what he's going through, you know, he can't afford because this is his only get out of jail free card. He has to become president to stay out of jail. So his motivation is all different. Joseph Biden could perform a great courageous act by stepping down. And if Joe Biden does step down and decides not to run for president of the United States, Kamala Harris cannot assume the role of the Democratic nominee. She cannot all of a sudden think that she's going to run because she would not beat DT at all. And the Democratic Party would have to find that voice and, and, and look for that voice, cultivate that voice. A Bobby Kennedy, a Barack Obama. Someone who comes out of nowhere. Someone who comes out of nowhere fast. you got to remember, Hillary Clinton was going to kick Barack Obama's ass. Going to kick your ass. Going into the primaries. And the next thing you know, you get through New Hampshire and you get, you get through Iowa and New Hampshire caucus or Iowa caucus and New Hampshire. And you start wheeling down that spring. And all of a sudden, who's this Barack Obama guy? Because he came out of nowhere. And if Biden has the courage to step down, somebody's got to come out of nowhere. Somebody's got to come out of nowhere where the youth, where the next generation embraces that individual. That individual has to be so anti what's going on right now that they're not only unique, but they're attractive to the voting public. Forget the percentage of MAGA and all those whack jobs who are, who are out there. There's a whole chunk. There's a whole huge uh, group. Uh, just independence, just looking for somebody else to vote for. So Jungle Jim, I hear you. I hear you, Jungle Jim. I'm off my soapbox. Soapbox. You ever been in this? Hey, Jungle Jim, you ever been in the soapbox derby? I always wanted to do the soapbox derby. We used to do the. I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, and oh my God, I was in a horrible troop. First of all, we were. I, first of all, I hated Boy Scouts. Hated Boy Scouts. I knew right there that I would never want to be in the military. Number one. Number two. Our troop was a little, you know, we were not a uniform disciplined troop, which probably made it bearable. Number three, they have what they call the Pinewood Derby, where you got this block of balsa wood, a couple other blocks were supposed to be axles and some wheels that you put in with a nail. And then you raced them down these um, little uh, hilly chutes that they made. And of course, some of the guys, fathers, built these things like they were engineers for um, Ferrari. My parents said, "You know what? You gotta, you gotta build, you gotta build some character and make it yourself." Mine never even made it down the track for God's sakes, let alone win. Some of these things looked like they could have been in the racing hall of fame. So we did the Pinework Derby, never did the Soapbox Derby. That was big time. That was like the real Boy Scout Soapbox Derbies, where they actually built a car, a vehicle, and put it on a hill and went down the hill. Nothing fast, but it was um, nothing on the hill. But that's right, Jim. I got you, Jungle Jim. I hear you. It's time for the next generation. Pass the torch. Pass the torch. Play the music. Jungle Jim, Tim Marr. This is Failing Up. Bye-bye. <laughs>